Welcome to the Scoop and School podcast. Do they worry you a little? Are you worried? You ridiculous morgoon. My boy. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Your host, Stephen Kahn. What's happening, everybody? Welcome to week six of the college football season, and more importantly, welcome to October. This is, uh, this is where things sort of start to get real in college football. You can't just be undefeated based on playing random non-conference opponents, and we finally start to see who's actually good. Um, some good news for the listeners who are probably tired of just hearing the sound of my voice after we had those uh, great season previews with various guests to start the year. Uh, I do have a guest on the show today, uh, Jessica Smetana from Sports Illustrated will join the show in just a little bit. Uh, We talked a little bit about Clemson and then went more in-depth on Notre Dame. Uh, After that, I will do the normal, you know, rundown of of what we saw in week five and what to expect in week six. Uh, But first, here is my conversation with Jessica. Okay, joining me now for sort of the first time, a producer and showrunner at Sports Illustrated, co-host of MVP, the Most Valuable Podcast, and conqueror of country music icons, uh, Jessica Smetana. Jessica, thank you for joining the Scoop and Score podcast. Thanks for having me. Those titles are pretty badass, right? <laughs> That's it's, it's impressive stuff. And real quick on the Carrie Underwood thing, I'm, I'm sure you're beyond tired of talking about it. But I do have to admit, I was minorly starstruck uh, recently. We happened to be on the same flight uh, coming back from Georgia. And after a few episodes of Veep, I did switch over to NBC for the start of Sunday Night Football. And when Carrie Underwood broke out into waiting all day for Sunday night, I came to that realization that I was on the same plane as someone that I'd like to think was at least somewhat responsible for, for bringing that original song back. Is that, oh, fa- is that fair to say? You give me too much credit. You give me too much credit. It was certainly, uh, I don't know, I think <laughs> the backlash maybe led to the investigation of potential plagiarism there. I, I, I don't want to uh, I don't want to slander Carrie Underwood, but... Uh, All I have to say is that I love Sunday Night Football. It is one of the best football broadcasts on any network, and I'm glad that they finally brought back my favorite song. I think that is, I think that's well said, and, and I doubt anyone's going to get too upset at you online uh, for for that statement. Um, before we get into Notre Dame, I do want to get your thoughts on Clemson, uh, being as you, you spent a year there, you, you're, you know, you're somewhat a fan, um, right? I mean, at least enough so that yeah. you, you clapped back at me when I, uh, when I claimed that Georgia was the loudest stadium I had been in. You, you did quickly follow up that, uh, that you okay. think Clemson well, can say it louder. was not a clap back, first of all, but <laughs> Yeah, Clemson Stadium was louder than Georgia's. I stand by that. Okay, fair. You know, maybe uh, I, I was only at each one for one game, so uh, that could certainly be the case. Now, um, you know, most people, myself included, pretty much expected Clemson to dominate every game this season, probably straight through the the ACC championship, and in, and and at least uh, not have their first real test until the playoff, but. You know, despite some pretty lopsided scores, they haven't looked awesome. And then coming off a one-point win this past weekend at UNC, what do you think the problem is? Is is it is Trevor Lawrence too focused on his upcoming intramural basketball season, or or what's going on there? Um, actually, I think if you look at Clemson's Clemson's uh, schedule so far this season, 
They beat Georgia Tech 52 to 14. They beat Syracuse 41 to 6. They beat Charlotte 52 to 10. Um, the only close game other than the game this weekend was against Texas A&M, which was ranked 12th at the time, and that was a 14-point win. So, I mean, North Carolina, yeah, it was obviously a lot closer than I think Clemson fans wanted, but they did win, and even, you know, in years where they, you know, lost to Pitt, they ended up going all the way and winning the national championship. And two years ago, or was it last year when, I think it was last year, when they lost, or almost lost to NC State with that um, fourth quarter field goal that NC State missed. Uh, mm-hmm. They've had they've had really close games like this before, is what I'm trying to say. Um, so I wouldn't freak out if I were a Clemson fan, especially because they're not playing anyone the rest of the season, um, except for, you know, maybe Wake Forest will still be ranked by late November. Maybe South Carolina will give them a run for their money because they're rivals. Um, but I really don't think there's anything to worry about. Like, it having a team, like – as Notre Dame fans, we get that like every team that Notre Dame plays is generally trying to upset Notre Dame. And like, that's their biggest game of the year. Like we say that all the time as Notre Dame fans, right? Um, like this season, for example, Michigan might not be playing for a playoff title, but if they can, or a playoff spot, but if they can beat Notre Dame, that's their Super Bowl. It's the same thing with Clemson right now. All of these ACC teams don't really have a dog in the fight. None of them are going to make the playoff probably none of them will make the ACC championship. So Clemson is the biggest game on their schedule. So they're going to give that game everything that they have. And I think that's kind of what happened with North Carolina. But I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't panic if I were a Clemson fan. I really appreciate that jab at Michigan. Um, the, <laughs> the, the idea, yeah, you're absolutely right. They, they do make a habit of having one, maybe two close games per season. And it hasn't been a problem for them, um, you know, in, in, in recent years. But I guess the concern that I've heard some people talk about, and I do see some parallels is after you do win that national championship and, and potentially, um, you know, when when they won with Deshaun Watson, then it was a lot of new guys coming in. This is now a lot of the same guys and, and does it become a motivation factor. I think a lot of people point to that 2014 Florida State uh, Florida State team that coming off the 2013 national championship kind of skated by all season and then got blown out in the semifinal. But I'm with you. I, I don't think it's panic time, but... If they have another close game against one of these lesser teams, um, you know, be it a Wake Forest, uh, you know, four weeks from now or whenever, whenever that's coming up, um, I, I just there is maybe a concern with uh, with keeping eighteen to twenty two year old kids motivated uh, a year after they've kind of been uh, told they're they're you know one of the best college football teams of all time. Yeah, and I, I guess the twenty fourteen Florida State comparison. I don't really quite see yet because Florida State did play a lot of really close games that year, especially, I mean, I don't know if you were at the Notre Dame game that year. Um, I I, I sadly was. I I still call that a win, but that... Right, I mean, it was basically basically a win. They also had an overtime game against Clemson earlier in the season. They had a really close game against Oklahoma State. They had a really close game against Miami, a really close game against Boston College, really close game against Florida. Uh, Georgia Tech they almost lost to at the end of the season in the ACC championship. So the writing was kind of on the wall that they were not going to coast through the playoffs. They had a, a lot of really close um, of wins on that 12-0 and season or 13-0, and whatever it was. Um, so I, that could still happen to Clemson. Obviously, there's only been four games, five games this season. So who's to say what the margin of victory will be for the rest of their schedule? But Florida State um, definitely wasn't dominating opponents so they could have easily, just as easily, gone ten and two that season and not made the championship. So, or the fi- semifinal. All right. So, so 
message here is let's let's stay calm and and see how the rest uh, or at least the next few games go for Clemson exactly. before before any alarm bells are raised there. All right, um, switching over to Notre Dame. You were at the Virginia game this past weekend. Uh, based on Twitter, it seems like it took something of a heroic effort to get there. Uh, you want to tell us a little bit about uh, your your dedication to, to get to South Bend in time for kickoff on Saturday? Yeah, so I was flying from New York to Chicago Friday night, but there was a huge storm system over like the entire Midwest Friday, so every single flight to Chicago ended up getting canceled. But luckily, one of my coworkers... Uh, Friday morning found a flight that's left Saturday morning from LaGuardia, 6 a.m. to Detroit, and then I had a 20-minute layover, and it went to Kalamazoo, Michigan, which is an hour away from South Bend. So I booked that flight while I was still booked on my original flight to Chicago, and then, of course, my Chicago flight got canceled while I was at the airport. I had to come back to my apartment, wake up at 4 a.m. the next morning, get on the flight to Detroit, which then got delayed, but then I ended up making it just in time for me to sprint to my gate and make my flight to Kalamazoo. So I got to Kalamazoo at 9 a.m. Saturday morning. I had to drive to South Bend with a very nice Notre Dame alum. His name was Jim. He's from Massachusetts. Way, to, you, go, way to go, Jim. And uh, I made it to the stadium lot by 11 o'clock in the morning after all of that. So so when all was said and done, you didn't even miss that much tailgating time? No. In fact, my parents, who were meeting me there from Chicago, uh, were... They got there an hour after me, so I beat them there, and they all they had to do was drive from Chicago. So it kind of worked out. Yeah, that's uh, that is a pretty impressive, and and I would assume just kind of the overtiredness and mania of your travel, even you know further impacted the effects of some of the uh, consumption, if you will, of tailgating. So I, I would assume you were uh, you were in a good uh, frame of mind for the start of the game there. I definitely was. I definitely chased my uh, morning coffee with a white cloth at the tailgate. They, I mean, those two. I'm, I'm not a coffee drinker, but I would imagine, I would imagine those things go really well together. Just you know, based on, uh, you know, white cloth seems to go with everything. So that, uh, that should, that should be a good plan there. Um, the game itself. I there are a few. I have a few bullet points here that I want to talk about. But why don't you just. Give some of your impressions of the game and, and anything you don't hit on, I can uh, I can follow up with you here. What 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 did it look like from inside Notre Dame Stadium? Um, I I want to say it was the first half was predictable coming off of a top five opponent last week on the road. Team looked a little bit like they didn't kind of have their offensive game plan together. Um, it kind of felt similar to the Pitt game last season, but with a little bit more scoring. Um, but, like, it didn't seem like Notre Dame wasn't in it. It just seemed like it was kind of a sluggish start from the offense. The defense looked pretty good throughout the entire game, obviously. They had probably their best performance of the season. But um, then, you know, in not typical Notre Dame fashion, after halftime, they made some pretty good adjustments and came back and won pretty easily. So I would say, like, the last half quarter of the game I maybe the last eight minutes of the fourth quarter were pretty enjoyable which uh if you're growing up a Notre Dame fan and we're a fan in like the 90s and 2000s and most of the 2010s when you're losing at halftime to a team that is better than you generally you're getting ready to have a really sad drive home now you you mentioned the adjustments we made and absolutely uh for the most part played way better in the second half but 
one adjustment that Virginia made, and I don't even know if you can call it an adjustment, but they came out in the second half and did an onside kick with a three-point lead. And just remarkably frustrating, given that just a week ago, uh, we were in a position where we had a three-point lead on the road against a better team. And my friends and I are all sitting in the stadium saying, let's do an onside kick. You know, we've really got nothing to lose here. Why does Notre Dame never do anything cool and always seem to get caught by the other team doing something cool? I don't know. I think it's because Notre Dame is more confident. What was the Lou Holtz quote about if a team once tries to be with trick plays, they don't think they can beat you or something like that? It's along those lines, sure. Yeah, I think that's the general Notre Dame mentality that like we Notre Dame can beat other teams with like their what they practiced all week with their fundamentals with just being more talented and more athletic and Virginia doesn't have anything to lose so they're going to do an onside kick and it was it was literally the most well executed onside kick I've ever seen in any game college or NFL in my life. It was so perfectly executed. It was actually just I remark. I was impressed. I tweeted how impressed I was. But um, Notre Dame, I think there's more to lose when you're when you're the ranked team in that situation. Obviously, uh, there's no point in doing an onside kick. But I don't think Notre Dame ever wants to get caught doing those things because I think Brian Kelly probably sees that as the number one way to get fired <laughs> because those kinds of stupid plays are what people will really hold against you. Like you saw last year with the SEC championship, Kirby smart calling the fake punt um, when they kind of had the game wrapped up. Those kinds of things are not things that fans forget easily. That, that is certainly true. People still talking about uh, Brian Kelly's two point conversion disasters, both against Northwestern, uh, in 2014, yep. and and then Clemson in in 2015. Yep. So maybe yeah, maybe he's just gun shy. He's gonna he's gonna keep it as as white bread as he possibly can. But just would like to see a little bit more creativity at some point. Um, one talking point that a lot of Notre Dame fans have have brought up this week, and I think it's a little bit overblown. I actually Sunday morning I I got a text from a mutual fit friend saying uh, Ian Book is not good. Uh, how, how do you respond to that statement? I think that that's an overreaction. I think Ian Book is fine. I don't think he's playing like lights out by any means. I don't think he's been as impressive as people hoped he would be, but I don't think he's bad and I don't think he's not good (laughs) if that is what bad means. Um, but I can see why fans are concerned. I think people thought he would kind of take the next step with his game this season after having most of a full season under his belt as a starter. But um, he's also playing with the kind of different weapons this year and having so many key injuries early in the season definitely hasn't helped him kind of build confidence in those pretty easy early season games. So I don't think that like we've seen Ian Book's ceiling this year, which is probably a good thing. I mean, that there's room to improve, but I wouldn't be saying that he's bad or not good. Yeah. I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about just how he's reading the field and seemingly, you know, bailing on the pocket uh, when you know, he's got guys open downfield. His, Absolutely, his, yeah. his, his throwing hasn't been a problem. Uh, aside from he missed like a slant to Javon McKinley in that game, which you just yeah. never, you'd never see him miss that pass. But aside from that, it's not like his accuracy has been way off. It's really just more what he's seeing in his decision making. And you would think, you know, that's something that could be pretty quickly cleaned up in the film room. But he's going to have to be better uh, coming up with this stretch. Certainly not this week, but uh, with Michigan and, and USC. 
and even now Duke seems kind of scarier than we originally thought down the stretch. I think he's going to need to step his game up uh, if if Notre Dame's gonna gonna try to get to eleven and one and keep their name in the playoff picture. Um, so you mentioned the defense was awesome, and they certainly were. Julian Aquara and Khalid Kareem uh, getting in on the action kind of in a way that we've been waiting for all season. Uh, also some injuries, though, on that side of the ball. So Dalen Hayes didn't play. Uh, he's got a torn labrum out for the season. Announced last night that he's coming back for a fifth year. Uh, and Sean Crawford with a dislocated elbow, which I am quite pleased to say that I was... Uh, let, I, I, had, I had drank enough during the game that the replay of that injury did not impact me the way that it probably would have uh, had, I, had I not. But what, uh, what do we make of the, uh, those two injuries going forward? Um, the Dalen Hayes injury obviously is bad, but it's, not, uh, it's a position where Notre Dame has a lot of depth this year. And since he's coming back next year, it's actually pretty exciting that um, we'll have the, more depth uh, next year. But um, still, still not great. You know, you want to have that depth. Those are the that kind of depth is what you know great teams have going into the playoffs, playing a thirteen or fourteen game schedule. Um, the Sean Crawford injury, obviously, a bit of a relief because I think a lot of people thought that he was going to be out for the season for the fourth time. Um, so, it, while having him for the stretch of games with the Michigan and USC games isn't ideal, it's at least something he'll be back for most of the kind of annoying teams that we play in November, like Navy and Duke and Boston College um, and Stanford even. So um, I guess good news and bad news for both. It's a little bit bittersweet. Yeah, the Crawford injury concerns me. You mentioned USC and Michigan. Both those teams, uh, USC with with Pittman and Vaughns and Amon Ross St. Brown and then Michigan with Nico Collins, uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Treek Black, some other guys, they just they have at least three receivers that they can put out there and give us trouble. And we don't have a proven third corner uh, right now. Tariq Bracey should, I think, fill in pretty much seamlessly as the starting corner. But when we have to get a third corner out there, I am a little bit concerned about what that looks like. But could just be an opportunity for Kyle Hamilton to get on the field a little bit more. And that's uh, that's certainly not a bad thing. Um, Definitely. Yeah. Uh, more Kyle. The more Kyle Hamilton, the better. Yeah. That. Uh, I. I am already kind of sad that you know we are what four games into what I expect to be like a thirty-nine game uh, career for him. Um, each. It's uh, each. Each. Each game close to the end of of Kyle Hamilton is uh, is making me a little bit sad because we just don't get athletes, especially in the secondary, uh, quite like that very often. Um, this week. Notre Dame's a 45-point favorite. They're playing against a Brian Van Gorder defense. What uh, What's the strategy for watching an expected blowout? What are you looking for? Is there, what, what, are you, what are you going to be watching to really keep you interested? Do you even, in this kind of situation, do you ever even like change the channel to a potentially more interesting game? What, what goes into your uh, viewership of, of an expected blowout? With Notre Dame, there is no such thing as an expected blowout. Can we watch some of the Indiana-Purdue game at halftime, Mr. (laughs) Rudiger? Um, I'm just kidding. But uh, I don't know. I think kind of games like this you want to keep watching just to see what kind of talent Notre Dame has in, you know, their second and third string guys. Um, See, you know, Phil Yurkovic hopefully play a full half would be nice. Um, And just hope that no one gets injured and, 
they can kind of dial up some fun plays with guys that don't get to see the field very often. So I generally watch the full game, but um, I don't know what other good games are on this weekend at that time slot. So depending on who else is playing, I might sneak away during commercial breaks. Yeah, I think Florida and Auburn is in that 3.30 window. But aside from that, yeah, uh, not, not a whole probably lot. probably a better game. <laughs> I, I, if, it's, <laughs> if it's not a better game, then we've got serious problems. Um <laughs> Yeah, I guess that that's really the thing is is seeing some of the younger guys, uh, seeing what we have in them. Guys like Braden Lindsey uh, and and Phil Dracovic, obviously uh, airing the ball out there. Um, that's really what you have to root for. And, and I think the no injuries thing. Uh, I don't have any piece of wood around me to knock on, but that is certainly uh, that is certainly the focus in a game like this. So. Looking ahead, rest of the season, do you have a prediction uh, for? Notre Dame's record at the end of the year. Any any just big picture predictions? What what do you think the uh, the final two thirds? <laughs> bless Sorry. you. Uh, what do you think the final two thirds of the uh, Notre Dame season looks like? Um, I think I've said since day one, if we win ten games or at least nine games with this schedule, I would be happy. But now, after seeing how Notre Dame played against Georgia, I probably won't be happy unless we go eleven and one. Um, which is a pretty, <laughs> pretty uh, difficult uh, record to attain in college football. Um, but like Michigan, watching Michigan get basically blown out by Wisconsin makes me think that that should be an easy win. It never is because it's Michigan and they're not bad. Um, but you know, that Notre Dame, I think, should be the better team that day. Uh, same with USC, but USC is kind of doing some weird stuff. I'm not exactly sure what to expect from them. Um, Duke has been running some triple option, it seems like. Um, so that could be a game to watch out for. But Notre Dame should win every game on their schedule for the rest of the season. But obviously, just because a team should win a game doesn't mean that they will. And that's why we love college football, right? Because the unexpected is uh, inevitable. So I don't know. I think I think still nine or ten wins would be pretty good and go to a New Year's Six Bowl game, hopefully. But then again, maybe I'm being too optimistic. Yeah, I'm sticking. I've been at ten and two since the season started. I'm staying with ten and two. I'm not sure which game I'm going to predict them to lose. I just think it'll happen somewhere. I'm actually a little bit afraid uh, it could be when I'm out there for the USC game in a few weeks. But I guess we'll see about that. But yeah, I just one thing about how they played. I, I think and winning the Virginia game. I think the floor on this season has moved up to nine and three. Uh, which is a relief because, you know, while 9-3 and three would certainly be disappointing at this point, uh, big pick, I, I don't think that, like, sets the program back the way something like an 8-4 and four or a 7-5 and five maybe would have. So uh, yeah. that's, that's something that's good. All right, that's about uh, that's about it from, uh, from me. Do you have anything that you want to plug? Um, no, just uh, I, I guess I wrote a story about the three Irish leprechauns for SportsIllustrated.com. So uh, if you are interested in the most diverse group of leprechauns in school history, you should check that out. I think that that uh, is something our listeners would be very interested in. And uh, on Twitter, you are at Jessica, is it underscore? Underscore Smetana, S-M-E-T-A-N-A. All right. Well, thank you you very much for joining the Scoop and Score podcast. And hopefully uh, I successfully recorded it this time. All right, I am glad to report that I did successfully record that audio, as you just heard. Um, Before I get into the main part of the podcast, just a reminder that if you are going to a college football game 
and you don't want to stay at a hotel because it's not fun, go to rentlikeachampion.com, uh, use promo code SCOOP, uh, and rent your house there. I used it uh, when I went down to Georgia. I'm using it again in two weeks when I go to the Notre Dame USC game. They've got great customer service. They've got a ton of houses, all different sizes, so whether you're going with like three other people or a group of like 12 They've got a house uh, that will make it work for you. So, yeah, go to rentlikeachampion.com. It's great. Tell them Stephen from Scoop and Score sent you, and they will give you at least B-plus service on that name alone. All right, looking back at week five, uh, all three of those Friday night games that I told you might be important in some way or another. All three taught us something. Uh, Chase Garber injured uh, quarterback for Cal out indefinitely as Cal lost their first game of the year 24-17 to Arizona State. Um, Pac-12 now has no undefeated teams as we head into October. They're the only Power 5 conference where that is the case. It's really a, a rarity uh, just in the history of, of recent college football for that to happen. Um, now, top to bottom, that doesn't mean that the Pac-12 is really down. They're probably stronger than the ACC overall, but it does just paint an unfortunate truth about the the college football playoff picture for the Pac-12. So that's where Cal is uh, you know, probably going to struggle a little bit here without starting quarterback Chase Garber. Garber. Uh, Penn State, uh, I, I mentioned, you know, could, could Maryland get, get a little feisty in the snake pit? They absolutely did not. They canceled class on Friday. They probably should just cancel the rest of the football season. Uh, lost 59 nothing to Maryland. Sean Clifford showed it with his arms and his legs. K.J. Hamler uh, proving that he's one of the most explosive receivers in the Big Ten, if not all of college football. So certainly a flex by Penn State on offense after struggling with Pitt uh, a week earlier, uh, or two weeks earlier, I guess, at this point. I'm, I'm losing track of time. The, the season is moving so quickly at this point. Uh, Duke went to Virginia Tech and won 45-10. We learned two things in this game. We learned that Duke is kind of decent. Uh, we, we mentioned it a little bit uh, in, in my conversation with Jessica, that Duke is now sort of... From this point forward, is Duke the third hardest game on Notre Dame's schedule after USC and Michigan? Maybe at this point. Uh, and then on the flip side, another team on Notre Dame's schedule, Virginia Tech absolutely stinks. Um, you know, you, you thought maybe that they would be improving, uh, getting rid of some of the bad apples, if you will, uh, from last season. But clearly uh, that problem runs deeper in that program. Got to think uh, there are some... Uh, some friction between head coach Justin Fuente and defensive coordinator um, Bud Foster, who's in his last year. So we'll see if they can get that figured out uh, in the second half of the year. But Virginia Tech in just a really bad place right now. Uh, biggest game, you know, Jessica and I talked about Clemson, North Carolina. Um, I still just think that that's a motivation factor at this point. Uh Anytime they get close, I, I think they'll turn it on. And and yeah, I was playing devil's advocate just a little bit, but I, I certainly don't expect Clemson to lose a game. Uh, am I still sticking strong on my 45-game win streak prediction uh, for Clemson? You know, when you make a bold claim, you're not just going to back down from it that quickly. So I'll, I'll stick with it for now. Um, 
I, I certainly think they cruise to 13-0 and through the ACC schedule and into the playoff, and we'll see. But they definitely have more uh, competition maybe than we originally thought. One of those teams, Ohio State might just be the best team in the country right now. Uh, I, I made the very foolish pick. I said on paper, I said a lot of smart things, and then I said a stupid thing. I said on paper... Ohio State should dominate this game. I said they had the defense to absolutely keep Adrian Martinez in check. Uh, Chase Young uh, coming off the edge in that one is an absolute force. And I said that between Justin Fields and J.K. Dobbins and that receiving core, uh, that offense should be able to get pretty much whatever they want against Nebraska. And then I said sometimes college football doesn't make sense and picked Nebraska. Well, I was right about all the analysis Wrong about the outcome as Ohio State routed Nebraska in Lincoln 48-7. to And I really think Ohio State is looking an awful lot like the most complete team in the country right now. Because uh, when you look at some of, their, some of their competition, a team like Alabama, they were losing 10-7 in this game. It's rare that Alabama is losing. They were down 10-7. Uh, they ultimately won the game 59-31 against Ole Miss. Um, Devonta Smith would have, I would have called him like their fourth best receiver coming into the year, coming into the game. Um, well, he still might be their fourth best receiver. It's just scary that Alabama's fourth best receiver can go for 274 and five touchdowns. And that's exactly what he did in this one. It's got to be the most explosive offense in the country. It's, it's just nothing but hyper-efficient, big pass plays. They make it look so easy on offense, and they continue to dominate on that side of the ball, but maybe just a little bit concern on defense for Alabama moving forward. We've talked about the injuries, a ton of true freshmen in that starting lineup. Will they be able to hold up over the entire SEC season and beyond? Uh, That remains to be seen. Wisconsin with a 24-15 win over Northwestern. Uh, This was Wisconsin coming back to earth on offense uh, after that explosion against Michigan. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Pat Pat Fitzgerald, the Northwestern head coach. He's one, he he loves making a good soundbite. He loves to be old school. He, He did the whole hashtag, I don't care. You know, anyone that was, was complaining about the offense and, and, you know, making suggestions about what they could do better. He, he told everyone to reach out and that his email was hashtag I don't care. You know, really a combination of, you know, telling the fans they don't know what they're talking about while also mixing in multiple social media platforms and sort of feigning ignorance that you don't actually know what Twitter or email is. Just really the, the I don't know what the third thing is. So an exacta for Pat Fitzgerald there. Um... They only had 250 yards of offense in the game. Almost all of that came in the fourth quarter. Uh, Three of their four games, they have had no touchdowns going into the fourth quarter. Um, Mick McCall has been their offensive coordinator since 2008, and something needs to change there. Pat Fitzgerald can joke and make all the little quips that he wants, uh, but that offense is atrocious. They can't move the ball at all. Uh, and it's not like, you know, they, they can't recruit the players. They Hunter Johnson's a five-star quarterback. Uh, he was deemed good enough uh, by Dabo Sweeney and, and Jeff Scott and Tony Elliott over at Clemson. 
So uh, you would think he, he's got the talent and the raw tools and just getting absolutely nothing done. So despite, you know, recent success uh, relative to what Northwestern's used to, I just think that Pat Fitzgerald needs to open his eyes and, and make changes on offense if that team wants to do anything moving forward. Um, talked about the Notre Dame game as well. Obviously, the defensive ends were great in that one. Um, yeah, we, we really summed up everything there. I'm, I'm excited about having Dalen Hayes back for a fifth year. Obviously, crushed for him that he doesn't get to compete on this team, but he seems, uh, I mean, seems based on seeing his face on the sideline and a recent Instagram post, uh, he seems to be at peace with, with the situation and, and looking forward to coming back uh, next year. And really, an opportunity for him where he's kind of the third or fourth uh, defensive end right now. He can come back next year as the top guy and play his way into, a, you know, an early round NFL draft pick. So that certainly works out for him. I am a little bit worried about Sean Crawford uh, for that USC game and if he's still out for Michigan, as we talked about earlier. Uh, speaking of USC, Washington beat USC 28-14. Matt Fink you know, at some point this was going to happen when you keep uh, moving down quarterbacks. And Matt Fink threw three picks in this game, two of those interceptions coming in the red zone. Just an absolute backbreaker for USC there. Uh, and, and this game uh, coming up, they have they have an off week before the Notre Dame game. And that game, Clay Helton might be coaching for his job in that one. And boy, not, not much more dangerous than a coach with absolutely nothing to lose. And that's where Clay Helton is at this point, but we'll talk about that more next week. Um, UCF and UConn, uh, sort of tongue-in-cheek, tearful goodbye last week to uh, the the final uh, civil conflict. This game did not disappoint. UCF takes a 56 to nothing lead, ends up winning the game 56-21, and UConn wants you to know that they were down 56 nothing because after the tw- game... The UConn Football Athletic Department tweets, I, I don't even have it open in front of me, but something to the effect of 21 unanswered, 21 unanswered to close the game, and you, we still lost 56-21, so if you can do some basic math, you see that things were not going so well for us through most of that game. But uh, great job by UConn, really true to form on what that rivalry is all about between made-up trophies and now tweets celebrating 35-point losses. Uh, just, uh, I really, really commend this UConn football program, and I hope they can remain in my life even as they move uh, out of the American Athletic Conference and probably into total obscurity. Uh, Texas A&M wins a sloppy game against Arkansas. Stop me if you've heard this before. 31-27 final score. Texas A&M is not going to beat Alabama, LSU, or Georgia. It was talked about, you know, they had all these really tough teams on their schedule, and even though, you know, they weren't going to have a great year and they weren't going to go 10-2, could they play spoiler? Could they knock off one of these really good teams? They already lost uh, to Clemson. They lost to Auburn. They still got... Uh, you know, three of those top five teams in the country still remaining on their schedule. I watched most of this Texas A&M game, and this is just not a team that's going to compete with among the best teams in the country. You know, seven and five would mean really they lost to five good teams and and beat seven not good teams, um, which is kind of a really weird, you know, 
it would be hard to be upset with seven and five if you're a Texas A&M fan. They easily could have lost this game. This could be a pretty decent team that goes something like five and seven or six and six, uh, which I'm sure is not going to make the fans happy, given Jimbo and his uh, 75 million that they're paying him uh, to to coach the Aggies in College Station. Um, Oklahoma State. 26, Kansas State 13. This was one of my uh, picks of the week. Actually, won two out of the three this week. My only loser being Notre Dame. Sorry about that. Uh, I will try to make up for that by uh, picking the Irish this week. Um, But Chuba Hubbard, running back for Oklahoma State, is really, really, really good. 296 yards on the ground in this one. And, ooh. We had a siren, it stopped, and I guess I'll stop short of telling you that Chuba Hubbard is the best running back in college football. That's right, ahead of Jonathan Taylor at Wisconsin. Um, But Oklahoma State's really rounding into form. Uh, Spencer Sanders, Chuba Hubbard, uh, Tylen Wallace, really, really good skill position guys. Mike Gundy knows what he's doing there. I would not be surprised to see Oklahoma State really challenge Oklahoma in Bedlam this year and be a real factor in the Big 12 uh, in the next two, three years going forward. Uh, my my other winner from the week, uh, Wake Forest remains unbeaten, but BC covers Wake winning 27-24. to 24. Um, You know, I, I mentioned it last week, Wake has a real chance to get to 9-0 heading into that game against Clemson. Granted, uh, we're... We're sort of looking at now, there, I, there are three teams here, Wake, Baylor, and Minnesota, all undefeated, kind of surprising. Looking ahead, when will they lose? For Wake Forest, while they'll probably be favored in every game up until that Clemson game, before the season started, I had them losing to Florida State. I've been correct about every Florida State game so far this season in terms of uh, what what I had in my, in my preseason board. Uh, and since I had Florida State knocking them off before the year started, I'm going to stick with that pick. So I think Wake wins one more against Louisville, gets to 6-0, and and then does fall to Florida State. Baylor uh, is 4-0 after they, they took a 20 to nothing lead on uh, Iowa State, blew it, but then came back, kicked a game-winning field goal in that one. Uh, I actually think their unbeaten streak comes to an end. They travel to Kansas State next week, and I think the Wildcats will get them in the Little Apple of Manhattan. Uh, and Minnesota 4-0, beating Purdue 38-31, to knocked Rondell Moore uh, and Elijah Sindelier out of this game on the same play. Purdue is in serious trouble without their quarterback and star wide receiver. Um, you know, Minnesota has a chance to really go on a run here as well. They've got Illinois. They've got Nebraska. They go to Rutgers. They've got Maryland. Could this team be 8-0 playing Penn State? I'll go ahead and say yes. I think P.J. Fleck continues to row the boat. They get to 8-0. And then who knows what could happen when they play Penn State in November. Uh, And just a little bit of love for the group of five. SMU got to 5-0, and they are ranked in the AP for the first time since 1986. A few weeks later, the NCAA gave them the death penalty, and they took a 30, almost a 35-year hiatus from being ranked. So good for SMU for getting back into the swing of things. 
Um, looking ahead to week six, we are now into October. On Friday night, Central Florida goes to Cincinnati. Cincinnati still has hopes, you know, they got blown out by Ohio State, but has hopes to be the group of five representative in the New Year six. UCF, despite the loss to Pitt, they're fighting for the same thing. Dylan Gabriel, quarterback for UCF, is really, really good. Uh, you know, I, I, I preached Mackenzie Milton for so long on this podcast. By the time f- people finally came around to realizing how good he was, he had a broken leg. Hopefully, I'm not going to do the same thing to Dylan Gabriel's leg. But you might want to check this game out if you're uh, if you're near a TV on Friday night. UCF and Cincinnati should be a good one. Uh, moving to Saturday, a couple of intriguing nooners. Uh, number 14, Iowa, goes to number 19, Michigan. Iowa's won five of the last six in this series. Uh, and and this is a uh, the Iowa defense is a good measuring stick for Michigan's offensive offensive improvement. Uh, you know, Rutgers is absolutely not testing anyone. Uh, Michigan exploded uh, offensively. To, to crush the Scarlet Knights, get Chris Ash actually fired uh, for the way the team performed in that one. So this will be a good chance to see where is Michigan's offense. Are, are they as bad as we saw against Wisconsin? Are they as good as we saw against Rutgers? Or is it probably something more like in the middle of those two things? I'm going to predict Michigan to win at home in this one. Uh, their backs are absolutely against the wall. If they lose this game, their season is effectively over. Uh, you know, they'll still have something to play for. Um, you know, Michigan State, obviously, uh, beating Ohio State is, is always the number one goal. But if they lose this game, we're going to learn that that's not going to happen. It, it's not, it means they're not a good enough team to compete with Ohio State right now. So I think they're, they're backs against the wall. They've only got one loss. You know, this could be an overreaction situation for Michigan. They still want to potentially play for a Big Ten championship. Maybe even get their name back into the playoff picture. So I think this game means a lot more to Michigan than it does to Iowa. I think they come out. When you get back into a corner, that can make a team very dangerous. And I think Michigan gets the win at home against Iowa. Another interesting game in that noon slot, Utah State goes to LSU. LSU's secondary has been uncharacteristically shaky so far this year. Of course, getting torn apart by Texas and looking just, you know, not great uh, in some of their other matchups this year. And Jordan Love, the quarterback at Utah State, may remember him from that shootout with Wake Forest to open up the season. He's the kind of quarterback, and Utah State has the kind of offense that could get into a little bit of a shootout with this LSU team. Um, you know, at noon in Baton Rouge, could that be a bit of a sleepy crowd? Could that help Utah State stick around for, for longer than expected? I think LSU wins. I think it's close for probably two and a half quarters. And because of that, one of my picks this week, I like Utah State plus 26. I think this number is already moving against me. So if you want to get it, I think you can get like 27 and a half at this point, which I obviously like even more. Uh, another reason I like Utah State here uh, to cover that number even if they're a loser, um, they could be down 35 and all of a sudden, you know, tack on 10 points in the fourth quarter, find themselves working their way into a backdoor cover there. So I definitely like Utah State uh, plus the the 26 there. Uh, moving to 330, I'll just quickly mention Bowling Green at Notre Dame. It's a 45-point spread. This is certainly, I think, the biggest spread that I can ever remember for Notre Dame. I was saying that a few weeks ago about the New Mexico spread. And I'm laying the 45 points here with Notre Dame. 
the only way they don't cover is if Brian Kelly shows mercy on his former defensive coordinator, Brian Van Gorder. And given that uh, Kelly in his recent press conference said he hasn't spoken to Van Gorder since, since he left, I don't, uh, I don't expect him to really feel that merciful about the situation. Uh, 56-10 seems like kind of the closest possible score here. Uh, and and 56-10 would be good enough for a cover. So lay the 45, take the Fighting Irish, and uh, just hope Phil Dracovic can get it going for you in the second half because it's going to be his game at that point. Uh, also at 3.30, Auburn, number 7 Auburn, goes to number 10 Florida. Everyone sort of wrote Florida off uh, during that Kentucky game, first of all because Florida just didn't look that good, and secondly, uh, Felipe Franks went down, but Kyle Trask has been really good in the two and a half games of relief uh, since taking over. Granted, his two full games were against Tennessee and Towson. Uh, but hey, here's the full here's the full hot take that we were waiting for before. Kyle Trask might be better to suited, suited to run this Florida offense than Felipe Franks ever was. And he might help the Florida Gators here. Um, on the other side, for Auburn, Derek Brown in this Auburn defensive front has just been incredibly disruptive. I, continue, I, I think they continue that trend. They get after Kyle Trask, who, who's not really... He hasn't played in, in a big environment quite like this. I know it'll be at home, but the stakes are going to be very high. Uh, I think this will be a defensive struggle. I'm not sure either team necessarily cracks 20, but I do think Auburn goes into the swamp and gets the win in that one. Uh, the only game in the nighttime slate that I'll mention, uh, 7.30, number 25, Michigan State, goes to number 4, Ohio State. It's a good test for Ohio State's offense, as Michigan State will certainly have the best defense that Ohio State has faced this year. But Michigan State has no chance to move the ball against this Buckeye defense. Um, you know, this this could be sort of close for a little a little bit, but Ohio State playing at home... Uh, I think eventually they'll they'll figure it out against the Spartan defense. Have no problem scoring. I could see this being like a twenty-eight to nothing type performance, uh, and Ohio State should win easily there. Uh, and with that, it's it's a really boring night slate. So you know the apple picking. You can't really go apple picking because you got some decent day games. But whatever you want to go out, make make dinner plans. Go out with your friends. Have a good time. Because um, there's not a lot going on in this night slate. I don't think that Ohio State-Michigan State game is going to stay interesting for very long. So after Florida and Auburn concludes, just go out with your friends. Have a great Saturday night. Uh, my last pick of the week, just to leave you on this note, uh, I do like Texas minus 11.5 in Morgantown at West Virginia. Uh, Neil Brown's off to a better-than-expected start for West Virginia but I think uh, Texas and Sam Ellinger get that revenge game for the 42-41 loss against Will Greer and the Mountaineers last year. If you remember, there was the whole horns down situation. I think uh, Tom Herman is the kind of guy who's going to want to stick it to West Virginia. And I think Texas wins that game by two touchdowns and covers the 11 and a half. Um, you know, this is kind of the time of year where I, I wanted to start getting into my rankings you know I'm, I'm big on uh what is your resume and and you know throwing the preseason rankings out the window um and also might be time for a little bit of heisman talk um you know looking at high updated heisman odds here tua is minus 130 i'm seeing with jalen hurts plus 200 joe burrow 
uh, plus 450 and Justin Fields in the plus 700 range. You know, we'll get into all of that next week, uh, given that, you know, we had the conversation uh, with Jessica earlier in the show. This this episode is already sort of running about uh, about the length where I think everyone wants to keep it. So next week, uh, when we have a little more time, I'll get into uh, my rankings for the season so far. Uh, a little Heisman talk where you can maybe make some money there. Um, and until then, uh, enjoy the start of October, and I will talk to you guys next week. That concludes the Scoop and Score podcast. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul.